look at the Word of God tonight. Psalm 3, if you found that, if you would stand for the reading of Scripture, if you're able to, we'll read the entire psalm here. The Bible says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. They have set themselves against me round about. Verse 7 says, Arise, O Lord, save me. O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. The title of the message is this, God's plan for our problems. We all face problems in life. Sometimes they're little. Sometimes they're big. Sometimes they're so big that they... Uh, run the risk of breaking us. And what do we do when we come to a problem? Why does God allow problems in the lives of those that He so deeply loves? Let's talk about tonight how that God allows problems in our life because He has a master plan that He's looking to work. Let's pray. Lord, help us tonight as we look at this psalm, Psalm 3, and we look at a time in David's life of great despair, great problem. And, Lord, we try to understand the chapter. Lord, help us to uh, come to our problems with the right attitude. Work in us. And, Lord, thank you for five years of allowing my family to be a part of this church. We look forward to 30, 40 more years here as the pastor, Lord, as you lead and guide. And, Lord, we pray you would continue to do great things uh, through our church. Continue, Lord, to bless us. And, Lord, um, use this place to see people saved both here in Stratford and abroad. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. If you would look back at Psalm chapter 3, and notice there above verse 1, where it says, A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. How many of your Bibles say that above Psalm chapter 3? That's as much as part of the Scripture as the first verse. And here we're given this setting. David wrote the Psalm, and he wrote it as he was fleeing from Absalom his son. What heartbreak. What heartbreak. David being chased off the throne by his wicked son. Let me quickly give you the background and help us to see how David had gotten to this point in his life. But you know from Second Samuel chapter 11 through 15, we see David lead his family into sin. He commits adultery with Bathsheba and then murders Bathsheba's husband Uriah in order to cover up his sin and and then watches as his children follow in his footsteps Amnon raping Tamar and then Absalom murdering Amnon and David doing very very little about it I've heard it put this way you can choose your sin but you do not get to choose the consequences of your sin you can choose your sin you do not get to choose the consequences of your sin God chooses the consequences of our sin. David chose in a moment of passion, in a moment of, of a, a lust to bring Bathsheba over and enjoy a sexual frill. Uh, and then uh, there things 
proceeded or there was a digression to try to cover up his sin. And while he got to choose his sin, he did not get to choose what would the consequences would be. Second Samuel chapter 12, we find that God forgives David. Listen though, David still had to suffer for the rest of his life. He had to suffer through the pain of a fractured family because of his sinful indiscretions. The truth is, when I have problems, usually they are my own fault. When I have problems, I need to look in the mirror at the face I shave. That's the guy who is responsible for most of my problems. You ladies, the face that you put makeup on. Amen? We are really good at acting like Adam and Eve. It's the woman. It's the serpent. We like to deflect. We like to deflect. You are here tonight and you're going through problems in your life. It's really easy to find ways to blame everyone but yourself. And you may be going through problems that really aren't your fault. There's nothing you could have done different about it. But if we're honest, most of the problems that we go through, we've brought upon our own head. We've made poor decisions that have put us there. That was the case for King David. Here Absalom is chasing him off the throne. Absalom is taking his, his concubines up on top of the ceiling of the palace and he's defiling them in front of all of Israel. He's making a mock of David. His own son is trying to overtake uh, the, the, the kingdom. David could have pointed his finger at all kinds of uh, excuses as to why that was happening, but at the end of the story, the end of the day, David, had he, had he stayed away from Bathsheba and Uriah and not allowed that sin to enter into his home, no doubt there would have been a different result. So then what makes King David so special? Why was God so favorable toward David even after his sins? Even though David had done wrong and had bought a lot, uh, brought a lot of what he was going through on his own head, watch this, he still trusted in God. He saw that God had a marvelous plan for his problems. I believe this evening that if we will call out to God in times of trouble and learn to totally rely on Him, then God can take our messes, whether they're brought by God, brought by uh, others are brought on by ourselves. God can take our messes and He can turn them into miracles. God wants to take the trial that you're going through in your life right now and He wants to use it to mold you and make you into exactly who He wants you to be. You see, we see our problems as a big, large inconvenience to life. God, if you loved me, why would you allow me to go through such hurt? God allows hurt in our lives because it's part of his process. There are three simple, short questions to ask yourself as you go through your trial. Write these down somewhere on the back of that piece of paper, at the top of that piece of paper. Find a spot. Write these three questions down. Question number one, am I praying or are you praying? I'll ask them to you and you write it. I'll ask them in the second person. You write them down in the first person. Are you praying? James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You're going through a problem. Use that as an opportunity 
to double down in your prayer time. Lord, use this problem to mold me and make me. Are you praying? Question number two, are you resting? Are you resting? Psalm 23, 2, and the beginning of verse 3 says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still water. He restoreth my soul. I get the idea of a shepherd who has sheep who are nervous, and maybe they were just chased by a wolf, and that shepherd had to beat the wolf away, and then they're walked by a raging river, and that river is raging, and the shepherd uh, has a lamb that just can't seem to calm down, and he's nervous, and he's shaking, and that shepherd picks up that lamb and holds him close to his chest, and then finds a cove where the water's a little bit calmer, and he forces that lamb to lay down there in that field. He forces that lamb uh, through its time of struggle and anxiety to rest. Sometimes God will knock us flat on our back because He wants us to rest. He's forcing us to rest. And so as you go through a problem, are you praying? Are you resting? Question three, are you learning? Are you learning? Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus told His disciples, Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. A lot of focus gets put on the term yoke. A lot of focus gets put on finding rest for your soul. But we oftentimes brush right by, blaze right by that phrase, and learn of me. Do you know sometimes God allows a trial in your life because He's trying to teach you a little bit more about Him? Sometimes God allows problems to come into our life because He's trying to bring us in closer and closer to his heart. He's trying to draw us in through that bond of suffering. Uh, Miss Pam Dalton has been sending me updates about a little boy named Sammy. Uh, she asked us to pray for him a couple of weeks ago. And Sammy's a four year old boy with half his heart uh, that hasn't been uh, uh, functional much since his birth. And his oxygen levels have been real low. He's been in and out of hospitals. And in and out of surgery. Just recently, just now, even now, he's in a, a children's hospital up in Boston and uh, making improvements, and we're, we're uh, rejoicing in that. But can I tell you uh, that uh, when a child suffers like that, parents form a bond with that child that otherwise could not be formed. A medical, seeing your child there so vulnerable and sitting by that bedside and holding and clinging to a child that's holding and clinging on to life, there is an intimacy and a bond that happens that cannot be enjoyed or understood outside of that setting. Sometimes God puts us in a spiritual hospital through a problem in our life where He's trying to strip everything away from us. He's trying to bring us low because in that infirmity, in that problem, in that sickness, we learn about God in a way that is intimate and deep. Paul worded it this way. He said that I may know Him. He said, uh, and the power of His resurrection, Philippians 3, and the fellowship of His suffering. Sometimes God allows us to suffer because we learn of Him like never before. When you go through a problem, and we all go through problems, ask yourself these three questions. Am I praying? Am I resting? Am I learning? No matter the problem, big or small, uh, uh, long or short, am I praying? Am I resting? Am I learning? Many Christians are too busy blaming others and blaming God 
for their pain and problems. Instead, we ought to look at these trials as opportunities for God to show Himself in a real way. Let's take a look at Psalm 3 this evening. Let's look at five thoughts on this topic. God's plan for my problems. Let's accompany David on his way out of Jerusalem fleeing from his son Absalom as his kingdom is being invaded and at this moment taken away. Notice point number one, the problems David had. The problems David had. Letter A, the increase of the godless. The increase of the godless. Look down with me at the first verse of the chapter. The Bible says Psalm in Psalm 3, 1, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? How are they increased that trouble me. Many are they that rise up against me. It can feel like sometimes that you are all by yourself on an island. No one understands you. Maybe your family opposes your faith. Uh, maybe your co-workers oppose your faith. Maybe even your own husband or wife opposes your faith. Your children don't understand you. You want to do what's right, but you have a hard time with it. And we see the increase of the godless. Elijah there at Mount Horeb in the cave so told the Lord, he said, I am the only one. And while that was not factually accurate for Elijah, that was how he felt. He felt he was all by himself trying to do what was right and the problems were mounting on him and the godless, there was an increase of the godless. In 1946, Benjamin Spock released his book, Common Sense Book of baby and child care. And it was very anti-Bible and very against Scripture on how to raise children and has greatly uh, been a, uh, used by the devil to greatly harm uh, families and generations of families. And that was 1946. June 17, 1963, Abington School District versus Shemp. The Bible was removed from the public school, the increase of the godless. January 22nd, 1973, we had the case of Roe v. Wade in the Supreme Court where abortion was legalized. And then in June 27th, 2015, the Supreme Court ruled and allowed homosexual marriages to be legalized. The godless are increased among us. Now, I will say about each of these situations, these are uh, the results of a culture that have grown further and further and further away from God. As the culture has moved further away from God, the Supreme Court has just simply matched where the culture is. And uh, th this is the result of the godless in our culture increasing. Second Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5 tell us this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce bakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such 
turn away. In the history of our nation, it has never been more unpopular to raise your family the right way. Never has it been more unpopular to have a church that is on fire for God and soul winning and doing right and doing their best to stay away from the world and doing their best to not look like the world or talk like the world or mimic the world. Never has it been more unpopular. I'm going to tell you as a pastor that uh, the push from other pastors in our culture is that you need to cozy up to the world and look like the world and act like the world and uh, mimic the world in order to get the world into the church. And I want to say this evening that uh, it is not my intent to bring the world into the church. It is my intent to take the church out to the world. We need to do our part to show a contrast to the world and show them that the Lord's way is best. We have a lady named Jackie who got saved on her front porch yesterday. And uh, she's excited about getting baptized here soon, maybe even this next Sunday. Uh, Jackie was met by the uh, Brother Vara, I believe, was the first one to approach her out in Bridgeport and invited her to church. And then Diane and Claudia went by and followed up with her. And lo and behold, uh, Jackie climbed on the church bus and she came to church and I watched her. She sat next to Mrs. Vara throughout the morning service. And I have never seen anyone uh, experience so many emotions in a service as Jackie. I think she cried a little bit. She laughed a little bit. Uh, She was very emotional throughout the service. Uh, Angela went by uh, yesterday and sat on her front porch with her and opened up the Word of God. And uh, Jackie was wide open to the Gospel and tears streaming down her face. She prayed and got saved. Here's what she told Angela. She said, uh, I've gone to church my whole life. She said, "Uh, all the other churches I've gone to have been all about the music and the drums and and the beat, and how uh, how uh, fleshly we can get it, how much we can enjoy it, and the music has been great, but the music has felt like I'm in a bar or I'm in another place, I'm not at church. She said, when I walked into your church, it was different. She said, when I walked into your church, I experienced what it means for the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to be held high. She said, now that is what I want. We're here to lift up Christ. And by the way, Jackie told me just about the exact same thing this morning. She's so happy to have found our church and just is in love with the Lord. And uh, God has saved her. We rejoice in her with that. Like David, I think we can all look around us and we can say like David, the godless are increasing. It is becoming less and less popular to be a Christian. Number one, we're looking at David's, uh, the problem David had, letter A, the increase of the godless. Notice letter B, their indictment against God. Their indictment against God. Look at verse number two of Psalm three. The Bible says, many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. And the word selah means Think on this. As David was on the run, David is in retreat mode out of Jerusalem, leaving the city limits and finding his way to some sort of bunker, some sort of of out-of-town hiding place. He's in retreat. He begins to hear the voices of the naysayers. And what, what it must have sounded like was something to this effect. Hey, David, where's your God now? Hey, David, where's your strong tower now? Now, when we go through a hard time, whether it be financial, medical, relational, those who know us by our faith that are not part of our faith, they may be there to question why God seemingly didn't stop, step, step in and stop it. 
Hey, where's your God now? You got cancer. If God is so powerful, why did He let you get that cancer? Hey, you got betrayed and you had a, a loved one walk away from you, whether it was a friend or a family member. If your God is so real, how come He didn't help that relationship work out? And uh, there are people in this world that look for every opportunity they can to take a shot at your God when they feel as though you're loyal to Him and somehow He has allowed hurt in your life. They'll say, well, see, your God is not there for you. Your God has betrayed you. And what many people fail to realize is that God allows hurt in the life of His children because He's using that to mold us. He's using that to make us. Their indictment against God. The problem David had. Notice number two, the protection David felt. The protection David felt. Letter A, God defends the saved. God defends the saved. Look down at verse number three. David says this on his way out of town running from Absalom, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. Have you placed your trust in Christ to be your Savior? Do you know that heaven is your home? Now let me assure you, if you answered yes to those questions, God is taking care of you. God is taking care of you. David said, the Lord is my shield. The Lord is my glory. He is the lifter up of mine head. Hey, Christian, lift up your head. You have been forgiven of your sins. Hey, Christian, lift up your head. Get your head from hanging low and walking around with your head uh, hung low and uh, that sadness in your heart. Lift up your head. You're no longer hell bound, but rather you're heaven bound. You're on your way to heaven. Hey, instead of uh, uh, sitting around and moping about your problems, how about instead you count your many blessings? Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Amen? While David's son is trying to overtake the kingdom, God reminds David to lift up his head because it was God that would fight for him. There is one lesson God has been working hard to teach me throughout the duration of my life. Can I tell you what that lesson is? I can put it out there in two words. Here, here, are, here are the two words that describe what God has been working to teach me throughout my whole Christian life. Here are the words, trust me. Trust me. God is trying to say, trust me. Quit trusting yourself. Quit trusting others. Quit tr- trust me. Trust me. Uh, let God defend you. You ever had someone say something about you that was untrue and spread lies and rumors and and gossip about you. I've had that happen. You ever had someone uh, feel a certain way toward you and you knew it wasn't accurate? You knew that didn't match your character. Uh, you ever had someone run around and try to um, uh, just ruin your reputation or ruin your name? Learn to trust God. Let Him defend you. Let God defend you. Hey, let's not forget, as the songwriter worded it, I'm on the winning side. I'm on the winning side. Let's get our head... Uh, held high. David said this. He said, yep, my son's taking over my throne. And yes, that relationship is ruined. And yes, my heart is broken. It's broken over that. 
But I am not going to forget about my Heavenly Father. I'm not going to forget how He loves me. He is the lifter up of my head. He is my glory. He is my shield. He is my Lord. Letter A, God defends the saved. Letter B, God destroys the scorner. God destroys the scorner. Look down at verse number 7 of Psalm 3. The Bible says, Arise, O Lord, save me. O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Now David is an old man at this point, and he's fought many battles. He's slain his Goliath. He's gone out and uh, led the Israeli military, both as a commander and then as the king. And he's been in, in charge of many wars. He's, uh, God would label him as a man with bloody hands because of all the wars that he has fought. He looks back through the history of his life and he says, Lord, I'm going through another problem, but in the past you delivered me from my enemies. You either discredited them or you destroyed them. He says in the end of 7, he says, you've smitten mine enemies upon the cheekbone you've broken the teeth of the ungodly verse 7 uh, God attacks in verse 7 we see that God attacks the valor of our enemies and he attacks the voice of our enemies their valor the slapping across the cheek is there anything more humiliating than when you say something to someone and they reach up and they slap you across the face and the bible says david said lord you have slapped my enemies in the face you've taken from them their valor he says but you've also broken their teeth you've taken away their voice you have destroyed them you have discredited them david looks back over the history of the experiences of his life and he says, the Lord has protected me then, and the Lord will continue to protect me now. God defended the saved. He destroyed the scorner. Number one, uh, we see the problems David had. Number two, the protection David felt. Notice number three, the plea David made. The plea David made. Look at Psalm chapter 3 and look down at verse number 4. The Bible says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. Look down at verse number 7, the beginning of verse 7. The Bible says, Arise, O Lord, save me. We talked about this a little bit this morning when we were looking at the life of Daniel, but what is it that you do the first time you go through a problem in your life? Do you uh, immediately begin to pitch a fit and complain about how and why would this person treat me this way or how or why would uh, this happen? I got this bill in the mail and I got, um, uh, I got this ticket and I didn't even do anything wrong or this person uh, mistreated me in this way. And we act like uh, sometimes children in our responses and we complain and pitch a fit and we sulk and uh, we cross our arms and uh, we refuse to talk to anyone and we either shout real loud about how someone's mistreating us or we get passive aggressive toward people that are mistreating us. We won't look at them. We won't talk to them. We give them the cold shoulder. Our body language says, I don't like you now and I won't like you ever and don't talk to me and leave me alone. And we give people this attitude. The Bible says when problems come into our life, we're not to sulk. We're not to turn to these methods. We're not to shout. We're not to complain. We're to get on our knees and we are to pray. 
That's exactly what David did. He called on the name of the Lord. He said, I don't totally understand why Absalom has run me off my throne, but I'm going to rise up and I'm going to pray. I'm going to make a plea to the Lord that he would help me through this time of difficulty. The plea that David made. Christian, do you pray your way through your problems? Are you Praying, are you praying? David found himself in a time of heartache, in a time of great trouble. His son was taking the throne from him. And uh, his son had uh, caused a mutiny, if you will, a coup within the nation. And his son had become a very vile and vulgar man. And no doubt the father's heart of David was broken and crushed and twisted every way possible. But in this time of fleeing from Jerusalem, he got on his knees and he called out to the Lord in prayer. My friend, prayer is the best thing you can do when you're going through a hard time. There are many times in my pastorate where uh, the day has overwhelmed me, where a situation has overwhelmed me. And I get up from my office and I go walking down Main Street Putney. You ever driving down Main Street Putney and you see me going for a walk? Just assume that I'm stressed out and I'm praying. Amen? That's probably what I'm doing. And I've walked all over every street in this neighborhood multiple times. I've been down all the side roads as far as they'll go. And I've walked all over Booth Park. I love to go to Booth Park and walk through the graveyard. And then walk over to the three crosses and stand there and think about death and then think about life. Because that's what the cross offers. It offers eternal life. Can I tell you that when I get, anytime I'm in a spot like this and I get through praying, you know, the problems have not changed. But because I've spent time with God, my perspective about the problems has changed. I reached a breaking point in Bible college where I was at my wit's end. I I wasn't going to leave college, but I was about to lose my mind. It was a Saturday night in the fall, uh, my senior year of college, and I was just going through great, great hardship, great heartache. Uh, overworked, underpaid, malnourished. Um, I think someone had stolen all my clothes out of the laundry room, and so I had like two changing of clothes to wear, and I was really going through a hard time. And I remember I came back from my bus route uh, on a Saturday night or the area I visited on a Saturday, and I just went out to the lake that the college had, and I sat out on the dock, and for about two hours I sat there, and I told the Lord all my problems. And uh, there, were, there was quite a bit of time in that where I didn't say a whole lot. I just stared up to the sky and observed the creation around me. And then I would pray a little more and pray a little more. And I told the Lord in that prayer, I said, I'm not getting up from here until you fix my attitude and you help me get myself in a good place. And again, when I got up from that dock and I started to walk back into the college, it must have been 10, 1030 at night. I was out past curfew, but I didn't care. I wasn't trying to be rebellious or disobedient. I just needed to be out of the dorms, and I needed to be away with the Lord. I needed to be with the Lord. And I walked, got up from that dock, and I began to walk away from the lake and back into the college. And again, my problems hadn't changed. But because I had called out to the Lord in my hardship, my perspective about my problems had changed. Some of you here tonight are going through some hard, hard, hard things. How much time have you spent praying about it? Are you praying? Are you resting? Are you learning? We see the plea David made. Notice number four, the peace David found. 
the peace David found. Now remember the, the atrocity he's in. His son Absalom has murdered his other son Amnon. His son Absalom fled away to his grandparents' house in a neighboring country, and then he was brought back into Jerusalem, but then didn't speak with David. He stood outside the palace and interrupted people trying to come in and began to, Absalom began to win the hearts of the people, and, and then he created a coup and ran David out of town. And here in Psalm 3, David is on the move. He's fleeing out of town. A, a horrible, horrible situation. And we find verse 5 and 6, which are amazing verses. The Bible says, I laid me down and slept. I await, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands, plural, of people that have set themselves against me round about. Wow. When I worked as an assistant pastor, to, I wasn't, I'm sorry, I worked as a school teacher in a church ministry I was a part of in, in Maryland. I got back from a, a, a road trip where I was basketball coach. And it must have been 11.30 at night on a Friday night, I got called into the pastor's office. And I just have to say, if you get called into the pastor's office 11.30 at night, any night, it's either going to be really, really good or really, really bad. Pastor, nobody, no boss calls an employee into the office at 11.30 at night on a Friday night. And um, there were some politics that were being played there by the pastor, uh, but the conversation was so troublesome that I went home. I, I must have been 26, 27 years old. No, I'm sorry, I was 25 years old at this time. I went home that night, and I was exhausted. I mean, understand that we had been participating in a basketball tournament at Bible Baptist in York, Pennsylvania, and uh, Thursday, night, uh, Wednesday, let's see, Thursday night and Friday night, and so we drove up and back Thursday, and then uh, two hours up, two hours back, and then Friday, two hours up and two hours back, and two or three games of coaching on Thursday, two or three games of coaching on Friday, and, 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 and school teaching on top of a lot of this. I was, I was out. I, no energy left. Walk into the pastor's office. I get a text on the way back to the church. I walk into the pastor's office and, and uh, a very troublesome conversation that I had with him. And he's since apologized for that. But uh, it was a difficult situation. I went home and I laid in bed and I got zero hours of sleep that night. Zero. I didn't even have anything left in the tank. But the conversation had me so stirred up that I laid in bed all night and got zero hours of sleep. I tossed and turned all night long. How many of you have experienced something similar in your life? You know what I'm talking about. You've been through something like that. Can I say that if your son's running you off the throne, that would maybe be one of those nights? Is that fair? David turned to the Lord in prayer, running from his son, and he laid down and he went to sleep. It, that's, that's not borderline miraculous. I don't know what is. You know what I get from that? I get from that that David deeply trusted God. God gave him a peace. Isn't that what the Bible means when it says a peace that passeth all understanding? That's a peace that doesn't make sense, but it's a peace David found. Now, write this down somewhere if you're taking notes. Genuine rest comes to those who genuinely trust in God. Genuine rest comes to those who genuinely trust in God. God will give you rest. You remember the story in Mark 6 of 
uh, Jesus and the storm. And he's asleep on the pillow. And uh, the, the waves and wind come. And uh, the disciples are troubled uh, by what they saw. And Jesus, he, he calms the storm with his voice. Jesus watched the disciples as they toiled. Or rather, Mark 6 is the story where he goes out on the water to them and they're fearful. And Jesus watched them as they toiled. Jesus went out on the sea with intentions of walking right past them in Mark 6. Jesus had compassion on them and he calmed the storm. Peace that Jesus gives is not the absence of trouble, but it it is rather the confidence that he is there with you always. I got to say, sometimes God comes down and He calms our storms. Aren't you glad when He does? He makes the storm go away. He just makes the problem disappear. But sometimes God's not interested in calming the storm. He's interested in calming you while He lets the storm rage on. That can only be found in the presence of God. That can only be found in the presence of God. God wants to give you peace. That passes all understanding. You're going through a problem right now. And uh, listen, uh, I'll tread carefully here. But before you turn to a doctor for your emotional struggle with a problem you're going to, I said before, before you turn to a doctor, you make sure you turn to the great physician. And you spend time in his presence. And you spend time in the Bible. And you spend ample time in prayer. And you get godly counsel before you turn another direction. The peace David found. Number five, and lastly, notice the promise David, made, David claimed. The promises David claimed. Letter A, notice our God personifies salvation. Look at verse number eight with me. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Now, uh, in context, this is not talking about salva- eternal salvation. But eternal salvation does belong to the Lord. And if you are here tonight and you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus to save you, you need to turn to the Lord. What situation did David need salvation? He needed to know how to handle a difficult situation with his son who was putting his life at risk. And when you're having a hard time with a problem in your life, understand you need to be saved from that problem. You need to be salvaged from that difficulty the way David was, whether it's medical or financial or or physical, uh, or, or relational. It is God who embodies, personifies salvation. We turn to Him through these times for Him to salvage us or to save us. Letter B, lastly, notice our God pours down blessings. Look back at verse number 8. Salvation belongs unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. Here David is running for his life, running from his son, and he's able to see that God is a God of blessings. The problem with problems is that we start focusing on the problem and we cease to focus on the blessings in our life. We get sideways and wonky in that area. Some of you tonight need to take a big step back from your problem and say, yeah, it's still there. But what are the good things that God pours out into my life every single day? Make a list. Focus on those things. By nature, we're negative. We sometimes only see the negative. This is a a discipline that is godly and biblical. Have you lost track 
this evening of how good God is to you? Have you lost track of that? My friend, you're going through a problem right now. Can I just assure you that God has not forgotten about you? He knows right where you are. He knows the struggle in your heart. He knows the doubt you even have toward Him sometimes. He knows the fleshly moments you have of rage and anger. And He still loves you anyway. Aren't you glad that God's faithfulness to us is not not dependent on our faithfulness to Him? Sometimes it's good when we're going through these hardships to just stop and be reminded we have a God who knows. Yes, He intellectually knows. He emotionally knows your hardship. He cares. It has been said that we are all in a trial, coming out of a trial, or getting ready to go into a trial. Don't be like many Christians. Don't just see the storm Rather, see the God who is in control of your storm. See what God is trying to do in your life and allow Him to use your problems to mold you into exactly who He wants you to be. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Three questions. Are you praying? Are you resting? Are you learning? Are you praying? Are you resting? Are you learning? When problems come our way, there's a formula we follow to get out of those problems. There's a formula we follow to see God's hand of work in those problems. Are you praying? Are you resting? Are you learning? How many here tonight say, Pastor, there's something in that list of three that I need to be doing a better job with. Pastor, pray for me that God will help me through my trials and my problems. Here's my hand. Pray that God gives me the peace he gave David through his problem. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd help us to make decisions that make a difference. Lord, may this altar have people at it who sincerely want to see you work in their life through their problems. May we not bucket problems. May we see them as opportunities for you to change us and make us better. In Jesus' name, amen.